We're saying note to the Eiffel and we're asking with blind ambition, where is Anne Frank? I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Phelan. And this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome back to Offscreen for another round of, of cinematic goodness, your seven-day roundup. We've got some things on the big screen for you, some things you could stream, some things you can watch on telly even, and an old-school telly too, on Freeview. So even if you're in like a caravan, you can still like hook up an antenna like 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 rudimentary style, like Bear Grylls survival television. And, uh, yeah, and there are still movies every day. We've literally got a movie for every day of the week for you. So, Zara Phelan, it's your first week permanently in the big in the big chair how you doing welcome back i'm really excited actually i was like yes i can finally put my stamp on this <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it's gonna take you that long i think to, to to put your stamp on 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 this to be honest but uh let's see let's start this week then with one that might push your buttons a little and get a rise out of you let's talk about eiffel and i feel like i've been hearing about this movie low-key uh, for about three years, because maybe it's because it's a European uh, production, and you know what it's like—they they sort of launch the sales side at Cannes like three years in advance of you actually seeing the movie, and uh, and, and and that makes sense. It's usually something by Luc Besson or something like that. But uh, yeah, this one—this is about Gustave Eiffel, played here by I think it's Romain Dupree, as and, and he's depicted. Sorry. Jurass. Jurass? Yeah. <laughs> Jur Jurass? Is it Jurass? Yeah, there's loads of Dupree. Jurass. Dupree, sorry, Jurass. <laughs> I watched you, me, do you know what it is? I watched you, me, and Dupree on a plane last week. That's what happened <laughs> to me. I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, like French. <laughs> so he seems to be pitching his Gustave Eiffel, or Eiffel, or for, for the purposes of my dialect, Eiffel. I'm going to say it like trifle, Eiffel. Iffel, by the Iffel. way. Iffel. Is it Iffel? Is he, does he pronounce it <laughs> yeah. Gustav Iffel? But, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Okay, so right, they seem to picture of a sort of Guy Pearce kind of middle age for either way. And this is his struggle to design and build, you know, the the great monument to history that is the Eiffel Tower. Um, and, and, of course, the hidden meaning, you know, behind it and the, the great love that fueled it all. We don't have a clip because it's in French. Um, and this caught both you and I off guard, I think, because as far as we were concerned, we were watching... A movie called Eiffel, rhymes with trifle, um, starring some French dude and Emma Mackey from Sex Education. So we had no reason, really, based on the last bit, to presume this was a French movie. How caught off guard were you with this? Really caught off guard. I mean, even Romain, I've known him to do some English-speaking films as well. So I was like, oh, yeah, of course mm. it's going to be like, oh, no, buckle up. I need to read. I need to concentrate. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be fair, um, I didn't know uh, Emma Mackey could could like really fully act in French. I think she, I've seen her do some French bits in she's not done in Death on the Nile, I think, or something like that. Um, but I didn't realise she was actually properly fluent in in French. Um, she's very very good. She's very convincing, to be honest. Um, and she does. She is quite captivating. It does feel though the quality of the film doesn't quite measure up to. Either her more standout scene-stealing performance, her more scenery-chewing, scenery spotlight-hugging performance, or the more reliably-seeming, competently workmanlike performance of your man Romain. Your man Romain Dupree, as I say. What did you say his surname was? <laughs> Duras. 
Duras, sorry. Duras, like the House of Duras in, in Star Trek. I don't know. How do you oh, spell I just spent it. So. I hope so. <laughs> um, but for the purposes of my conversation, Maine Dupree, he's the love child of, of this man and Owen Wilson. That's where he's, he's Romain <laughs> Dupree. Um, but like I say, he's, he's got quite a steady performance. He's not really a showy performance. It's, it, it's quite a baseline, kind of low, almost low energy performance. Even in the moments that call for passion, it's not, you, you feel like you could strap a heartbeat monitor on the guy and he's not going too far above room temperature you know what i mean um yeah but he's still of a higher quality and a higher premium that i think the end result of the film itself comes out as it's not a very engaging or interesting drama particularly i don't think there's not the story there that i think they think there is i think what they've tried to do they've tried to incorporate a love story into him deciding to build the eiffel tower because he never wanted to build it in the first place Hmm. he wanted to build a subway um and they're putting it down to his relationship with this woman made him change his mind but this isn't based on a true story you've got to remember that it's not is it? it's entirely made up as well this is an entirely made up story apparently um also can, can we just 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 shout out a nod here to um some some frankly baffling cinematography choices uh in this one uh not, not even I don't know, could we say cinematography or is it on the visual effects side either way i feel like cinematography get, gets the, the fall on this one for just the absolute metric s ton of uh cg fog that is laden upon this movie like everything feels like it has just been laden in like like one click premiere pro the after effects you know add the vfx fog please you know <laughs> set your gradient oh, curve and opacity. that's what paris looked like in the what was it 19th century i'm not surprised the the story of building the eiffel tower went so untold for so long until now because no bugger could see it through all the cg fog <laughs> clearly that's what it was the thing is you know outside of that as well um, this is like 150, this is a, a one hour 50, I think, one hour 49, something like that. The strangest yeah. thing about it is you can't say that its story is as interesting as watching paint dry because they don't actually get to the painting of the Eiffel Tower until I think 15 minutes before the end. Yeah. So, and they don't actually start building the thing until I think five minutes before that. So you can imagine just how much like sort of phoned in hot melodrama has to be laden upon this thing and it never gets above like i say that baseline for me so i think this feels like an absolutely squandered opportunity you hope for titanic you you, you get something i think more akin to grimsby like a really dull <laughs> grimsby i actually quite enjoyed it to be honest but really then, yeah i don't know i think i i, I like stuff set in that kind of the period setting for you. Yeah, I did that, but and you know, I didn't know anything about him either. So at least you know, I, even I didn't. To be fair, story, yeah, even though it's not based on a real story, at least you know you get to know a bit about the guy and how much how revered he was. I didn't even know he was such a revered, what is it, architect or whatever at the time. The only thing I knew about him was the Statue of Liberty connection in advance. That was. Oh, the only I didn't thing. know that. I, Did you not know that? I I knew that. I I had that uh, that connection already. But uh, yeah. alas, if if you didn't know that, for instance, then then obviously there's there's loads of. I don't really consider that. Sorry, that's you're right for pointing that out. Like it's on my, on me for failing to uh, to consider that. You will actually learn a lot about the guy in this. There are enough in the way of actual facts I think presented about uh, Gustav Iffel, as you tell me Iffel. 
um, to uh, to actually genuine. You will actually learn some stuff about the guy. That's quite fascinating. I'm shocked that this movie hasn't been made before now, starring Adrian Brody. If I'm really honest, but uh, does, does that not feel like a movie that we sh- just we've been spared at this stage? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. Now that you've said that, Adrian yeah, Brody makes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then tell us tell us about our next one. Then we've got Where Is Anne Frank? Sorry, Eiffel uh, is uh, in uh, that Eiffel is in cinemas from today, from today, from Friday, August the twelfth. Uh, also out today, and I think this one is also only in cinemas. This is Where Is Anne Frank? Is this out on digital as well, or is this just on cinemas? I think it's on digital as well. I think it's on digital. I can't as well. remember. <laughs> you've you, you've seen you've seen Where Is Anne Frank? Then, Zara, why don't you tell us about? We've got a clip for this one as well. Why don't you set us up for the for the clip here? Okay. Right, this is directed by an Israeli director, Ari Foreman, and it's about basically, um, it's it, it's surround it focuses on a, a character called Kitty, who was Anne Frank's best friend in her diary, um, and it's set in the modern day world. Kitty comes out of the book, and she doesn't know Anne's not alive anymore, and it's her journey of trying to find Anne Frank. It was all so wonderful, but. Then everything changed. The Nazis came to power in Germany, and then they took over most of Europe and marked us Jews as the villains. They told everyone we were to blame for all the world's problems. Disease, hunger, poverty, you name it. Then the restrictions. First it was the swimming pools. After that it was everywhere. We were banned from concert halls, shops, sporting events, parks, hospitals, universities. And then they imposed a curfew. We weren't allowed to leave the house between sunset and sunrise. So that is Where Is Anne Frank in Cinemas Non-Digital from today. You know, we kind of buried the lead there, Zara, didn't we? Um, I think because we both forgot to mention that this is an animated movie. That would, yes. have, that, that, that would have been a thing. You were, just, just set, We should set that up, shouldn't we? This is an animated movie. As soon as you went to the clip, I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that might add some context. Yes, that's an animated movie. So when you're hearing those Holocaust references and things like that. So you say this is kind of a, a, a magically based modern day set fairy tale centering around the idea of Anne Frank's diary manifesting as a corporeal entity, the kitty that she writes her diary to. Because I was thinking the, the, the diary is written, I think, in letter form to, to Kitty. Um, Kitty is brought manifest. The book is brought to life as Kitty, as a girl of comparable age to to Anne Frank, who's just looking for her friend. But it's all animated in that style of, oh, what's the name of the studio? I really love them that did uh, Song of the Sea, uh, and Cartoon Saloon. I think Cartoon Saloon. It's animated in a style almost akin to theirs. If in, if in fact it isn't theirs, actually. I, I, I might be remiss in that. Um, maybe it's a sub-production of theirs. But it's gorgeous to look at. I thought it was really eloquent. I thought it was really quite charming. I thought it managed to be precocious, but at the same time remain quite innocent. At the same, without it, it didn't ever feel malicious or anything like that. I, I think it, it prodded and it poked in all the right ways because it goes after very contemporary issues of things like in, undocumented migrants and racism and class and homelessness and takes it from it. I mean, at first, I was because I didn't know the concept of the movie before I watched it. No, okay. Didn't know it. As I'm watching this unfold, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? And this is, this is, wow. I I wish I could have been in the room for the pitch meeting for this because, damn, like, this is a swing. 
And yeah, I, I was really taken by it. I found that it dragged a little bit. Like that takes it for five star for to a four to me. But over yeah. to you. Anyway. Yeah, no, I do think, I mean, I did like that whole concept, how it intertwined Anne's story with the, the one of modern day immigration as well. Um, but like you said, it did sort of, it stretched it out. I think they stretched out Anne's story more than anything else, um, which they yes. could have definitely shortened that down. But I loved how Kitty was, who's actually voiced by um, Ruby Stokes from Bridgerton fame, played one of the sisters. Oh, of in course Bridgerton. it is. Yeah. Um, but I did think the way they brought her to life was really quite creative. I actually really enjoyed that whole animation side of it. Yeah, it's really it's really quite a well-realised idea. Like I said, it caught me completely off guard, but I, I bought into it immediately. Like every wild swing that it took. I mean, at one point you're sort of thinking, hang on a minute, so let me see if I'm following. So Anne Frank's diary has been corporealized, is now on the streets of Amsterdam in 2022 and it's taking on immigration and homelessness in the EU. Okay. Because yeah, that, that's once you stop at that beat, it's like, this is wild, man. That is that that that's a thing. And I'll and like I say, I'll champion Geostorm. But just that is that, that that's that's out there. It works though. Like I say, really well performed, really well realized, and very vibrant, very imaginative, very yeah. memorable and striking. Um, I really loved it. I say that's that's. Uh, where is Anne Frank? Uh, would you give that out of five? I'd give it a four. I'd give it a four. I go with a four as well, only for that drag factor. I think. And we're back for another round of, well, big screen releases. The final two big screen picks for the week, because our first one is available on the big screen, as well as, I believe, Curzon Home Cinema, I think, which is Curzon's uh, streaming platform, uh, in which I think you can you pay, uh, it's usually about it's usually about 15 quid, 10 or 15 quid or something, usually about 10 oh, or I know, I'm a film critic, I don't pay for things. <laughs> very true isn't it well i mean to, to be fair that's that's kind of how they, they they remove the sort of financial bias from us for opinions have you ever thought about that like it's a whole thing isn't it because when you pay money for something like you're in you instinctively want that thing to be good we have no skin in the game you know what i mean like that's that's the beauty of having a film handed to you is you, you, you don't care one way or the other. You, you're not rooting for it or like, you know, one, one way or the other. It's just a movie. Like, it can just be good. But uh, let's start with Blind Ambition then, because that's it. Going in completely unbiased. Blind Ambition, which is about the, the world of... And I didn't even know this was actually a thing. International competitive wine tasting and the unlikely band of Zimbabwean refugees who became the first Zimbabwean wine tasting team, as you'll hear in this clip from this documentary. I remember well my very first sip of wine. I didn't like it. <laughs> You've got these guys, they get uprooted from their own country, forced over the border into a foreign country. No knowledge of wine, what do they end up doing? It's crazy to think we're going to be competing in a few weeks at the World Tasting Championships. A few years ago, none of us had ever tasted wine before. Joseph, Marvin, T. 
Tinashe van Pardon, Team Zimbabwe. Team Zimbabwe there. And uh, there are obvious comparisons to be made in this, I think, to... I mean, there's going to be a lot of people. I think Kevin Kevin Mayer, I think, has already said it. I think I said this to a friend. They went, oh, yeah, someone's already said that in the, the Times. I went, oh, that's going to be Kevin, isn't it? Yeah, okay, it's Kevin said that. Um, and it's to compare this to uh, Cool Runnings, you know, to, to, to say that this is the documentary answer to what if Cool Runnings but with wine tasting, which, again, as far as wild concepts go this week, you know, get me in the room when they were having the pitch meeting. I would I would love to have seen the executives' faces. Um, how did you find this, Sarah? Oh, God, when you first told me about this, I actually I couldn't roll my eyes hard you, enough. You thought I'd finally <laughs> lost my damn mind, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, but I actually, it's really rather compelling. These yeah. four guys... I mean, they they have a lot of charisma and a, a lot of passion about about wine, and it's nice to see four black guys in amongst what you would normally find in uh, wine tasting is a, a, mm. a sea of middle class white men. Um, I, was, I, I mean, not even oh. not even middle class white men, but even upper thresholds. I mean, the the cool runnings on that front as well. The cool runnings uh, bit of it does it does actually run through to the the, the group's own uh, own closest white companion, who is their John Candy, effectively. But here is like a disgrace disgraced no f's given fallen from grace wine taster who's now their coach and just seems to be just the most self-destructive human being you've ever seen it's a fascinating watch yeah it's also quite destructive towards them as well yeah like, better without him on board to be honest absolutely yes but uh, and that's the thing as well the movie is not afraid to show you how bad this got for them at times and also how they were treated at times as well um but also to explore the bond that they found within this world that they just didn't know existed until like very recently in their lives and it's just a captivating story. It's really well captured. I, I was really taken in by it. Like you said, I mean, you, I, I, I could tell that you thought I'd finally gone nuts. To be honest with you, I thought, well, it'd be good for a laugh if nothing else, competitive wine tasting, you know. It's, it's, that's the gig, you know, you learn something new every week. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I had a great time with it, really taken by it. So Blind Ambition in Curzon Cinemas from today and on uh, Curzon Home Cinema. But exclusively in cinemas from today Zara Phelan is the third film from Jordan Peele that's all we knew for the longest time it's the third film from Jordan Peele Jordan Peele's entitled third film we knew whose cast we, we kind of even knew vaguely what it was about we didn't even know what it was called until very recently when it was revealed it was called Nope and it stars Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer and uh, th this stars Kaluuya as, as OJ because no one's ever accused Jordan Peele of subtlety no one ever has. It's never happening. Just hats off to him. Just dive in there, Jordan. Just dive in there, son. Just go for it. Hats off. Just yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, and also when he introduces himself as well on the set yeah. at the very beginning. 
to all these white people on the set. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> it's amazing. It's honestly absolutely amazing. You just, you just like, you can't fault him for subtlety on that one. Um, so he is a horse wrangler whose father is killed in a freak, uh, freak weather accident, seemingly, um, at, the, at the at the onset of the movie. And in trying to put the pieces of not only his life but what's left of his family business, which is horse wrangling for movie sets, in trying to put all that back together, he finds himself face-to-face -face with the mysterious forces responsible for his father's, well, maybe responsible for his father's death and finds himself drawn in closer and closer into the mystery of just what is at stake. And is it going to make him cry out the fatal word that's going to make us all golf clap as he yells out, Nope. What do you see? Someone above the clouds. That's big. How big? Big. You think whatever killed Pops is out there? Right here, you are going to witness an absolute spectacle. So what happens next? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Here we go. So here's where I fell on this one because I was really, really looking forward to, to Nope and I had a great experience watching it. I mean, I had a great experience going to the cinema and watching it. I got to go to a really grand old movie palace in Ann Arbor, like a single screen, like Smallville style movie palace in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And where, where the, the kind where, you know, as you standard in American cinemas, they refill your popcorn and beverages. It's amazing. I loved it. Um, and I, I watched this movie and I thought to myself, this is not Jordan Peele's best movie, but it no. does have some of his best moments. It does have some of his best stuff. He is someone who comes on leaps and bounds in each and every film, even though his films don't necessarily get better, because I don't think anyone's going to say that Us was better than Get Out. No. No. no, no. I, think, <laughs> I think Get Out was his pinnacle, I think. Yeah, I think from there. <laughs> I, I, I think he is following, I think at the moment, the quality trajectory of Shyamalan, if you go with Sixth Sense, Unbreakable Signs. And there are a lot of comparisons to be made between uh, Nope and Signs, specifically in its subject matter, in its type of setting. Obviously, there's a switch up there, there's, but the way that it uses its settings, the way it's de it uses the setting to depict a certain ambiance, a certain isolation for its characters. Um, I, I would argue, you know, it, it swaps out, you know, crop circles for wacky, wailing, and flail arm, flailing tube man. You know, and and Dan, Daniel Kaluuya, as you would absolutely expect, absolutely fantastic in this. Like, you know, you know, he's gonna, he shows up ready to play. Like, he's tooled up, ready to play every time out the game. You don't fault with Daniel Kaluuya. He doesn't have that much dialogue, which surprised me. Kiki Palmer was, I think, she was standout. She is the standout, but and a lot of that is that. I mean, a lot of that is in the character, which is a brilliantly scene-stealing character. But in that way that Jordan Peele seems able to write quite effortlessly, he seems to be able to write a, a showy scene-stealing character without it being too obnoxious. Yeah. And Kiki Palmer nicely, stra nicely straddles that line. 
I think just before reaching the point of obnoxiousness, really hones it in, really reigns it in perfectly. I love her in this. I th I think she's a hell of a find in this one. Like this is, I, I I'm not familiar. What's she been in before this? Do you know offhand? Oh, uh, wasn't she in Lightyear? Is she, she in Lightyear? Yes, girl, yes, she's buzzed. Yeah, the granddaughter. She's she's yeah, his his co-pilot's granddaughter. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I love her. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge Kiki Palmer fan. Uh, I need to see more of her. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Jordan Peele fan. Stephen Yoon as well. Brilliant in this. Uh, wonderful cinematography from Hoyt Van Hoytemer there as well, who, again, the, the vistas he captures, the, his depiction of this ranch, just absolutely marvellous. Oh, and i, I got to give it up for Michael Wincott, the great Michael Wincott of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, of The Crow, of Metro, of 1993-1994's The Three Musketeers starring Chris O'Donnell and Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland. The awesome Michael Wincott, who just shows up here and I think has just improved as Michael Wincott, which is, I'm here because nobody appreciates me. I'm just here to be awesome. Please just let me stand here and have the film happen around me. For I am the great Michael Wincott. F your movie. <laughs> Michael Wincott time, baby. And you know what? I'm here for it. I'm here for that all day. There's not enough Michael Wincott in this movie for me. And there's a lot of Michael Wincott. See, yeah. no. If you can see it in IMAX, do. I think it's brilliant. Like I say, not Jordan Peele's best. But oh my God, there's some creepy stuff in here. And there is just some of his best stuff in here. Welcome back for the Freeview round on Off Screen, in which we take you as far as your very own living room to the com comfy confines of your very own sofa, and uh, and to, to the old-fashioned TV. If you uh, if you if you're a Freeview fan, um, if you're uh, if you're uh, stuck in a hotel somewhere and you uh, you don't have access to streaming platforms, at least there's there's Freeview there always. And uh, I don't know why I'm being demeaning to Freeview. I don't know why. I literally have uh, I, I have the Baywatch channel on as my like background loop at home just to be obnoxious to my neighbours because oh, you're such a nineties boy. <laughs> that's what it is. Well, you know when you like doing some work for five minutes and you just like you 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 you, you between YouTube videos, you between screening links or whatever, and you, the, the the Apple TV's gone to screen save mode and turned itself off because I'm the Baywatch channel on mine for some reason. So I've just kind of left it there, and now I just figure, uh you know what? I feel like I've 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 had this for several months. My neighbours uh, clearly already see me in a certain way. Let's uh, let's not uh, let's not interfere with the delusion. Plus, I get to revisit Baywatch, which, as a piece of storytelling, told over I think it's ten seasons, nine or ten seasons of network television and syndication is just fascinating. I genuinely can't wait for the, the Baywatch documentary, the much uh, anticipated Baywatch documentary that is coming. There's like a warts and all Baywatch doc coming. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. Um, anyway, on to what's actually on telly now. And we've just talked about Jordan Peele's uh, third film. Let's talk about his first. Uh, we, we both sort of agreed that this is the high watermark of Jordan Peele. And it's his first collaboration with Daniel Kaluuya. And his first film, this is the one that came out the gate. I think, did this make him not only the first filmmaker to make $100 million on his debut movie, but also... Certainly the first African-American director to do it above a, above a threshold, a, a ridiculously low threshold as well. And yeah. 
yeah, this was a real achievement. This is Get Out, in which Daniel Kaluuya is the young photographer, the millennial photographer, who goes home with his white girlfriends uh, to, to meet his white girlfriend's parents in, I think it's upstate New York, for the very first time. They're played by Catherine Keener and Bradley, uh, Bradley Whitford, good old bradders, who's now just a straight-up silver fox. He's in the straight-up silver fox phase of his career by this point. Um, and there's something not quite right with them. And as he is quickly warned, he's probably best off getting out of there. Uh, you can find out why tonight, uh, 10.50 on Film 4. Really terrifying film at times. It's really chilling. I mean, that, 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 that iconic shot of uh, the actor running towards camera is one of the all-timers to me. That's one of this century's high watermarks, as well as the, as, you know, as well as the movie itself. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not your traditional horror, is it? It's just a psychological. No. Um, yeah, it's all that hidden meaning type horrors there. So it, it, it that's what makes it even more terrifying. I think so. It's also accessible enough that it plays like a more crowd-pleasing take on an A twenty-four movie. Yeah, I think yeah. there's that way to look at it as well. But also, I think the M. Night Shyamalan uh, comparison is apt. I think that, that holds. Uh, on to yeah. uh, Saturday night. There's a tomorrow night, 11.40 on BBC One. Uh, I know you didn't rate this. I have such a soft spot for this. It is, uh, <laughs> this stars Chloe Moretz in a Neil Jordan-directed psycho thriller starring Isabelle Huppert as the title character, Greta. The deranged, older French lady living in New York who befriends a young, sort of Gen Z waitress, played by Chloe Moretz, and then just sort of does the single white female thing. I want to be your friend. You know, a, a routine. Um, you can say, so you can see this tomorrow night, 11.40 on, on BBC One. It's such gleeful trash. It's such knowing schlock. It knows what it is and it really leans into it, its own haut melodrama. Uh, Isabel Huppert really just swings for the fences. She's chomping down on every block of cheese she can find. You know what I mean? She, she's tossing between munching down on, on scenery and cheese. You know what I mean? It's in equal measure. Find out why in a movie bizarrely directed by Neil Jordan. That one makes no sense to me. Um, it's all over the shop. It's bonkers. It's a ride. It's a BuzzFeed article brought to life through the prism of a single white female remake. Um, but uh, yeah. You call it gleeful trash. I just called it trash. I hated it with a vengeance. <laughs> Should we, should we go to the other end of the spectrum then for uh, for Sunday yeah, night with what I think is my, possibly the UK TV premiere on BBC Two at 10pm of uh, Bradley Cooper's 2018 remake, the uh, the Oscar, the, the acclaimed Oscar winning A Star Is Born, in which uh, Bradley Cooper is now the, uh, the, the mentor slash, uh, you know, grand love interest figure uh, of the music industry to the up and coming star here played by Lady Gaga um, and, and her rise to fame and how it also how it intersects with his uh, his fall from grace his 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 increasing uh fall from the from the spotlight his slip out of the spotlight um it's heartbreaking mm -hmm. for bradley cooper i think this actually made him as a director it made, certainly made me sit up and take a lot more notice of him as a as a the filmmaker I think so, but that has always been Bradley Cooper's luck in that regard. I mean, to be honest with you, the, the Star is Born gig is entirely nepotism-based. It's not nepotism. Oh, it's, it's it's your mate. It's your mate doing it for him because this was Clint Eastwood's movie. You know, Clint yeah. Eastwood was directing this with Beyonce 
And then I think he he left to do Jersey Boys, I think, and passed it over to his friend Bradley Cooper, who, as as Clint Eastwood tells it, wanted to direct something. To which, like, <laughs> oh yeah, if you want to direct it, my mate Clint Eastwood will just toss me a movie. You know, so let's you know, let's you know, I, I think there's there's never that. It's it's kind of, it's one of those sort of poison chalices. It's kind of like The Rock. In that you you can't fault the rock for being a talented individual who worked his ass off to get where he is. But at the same time, the rock came from wrestling royalty. And yeah. you can't ignore that element of the story now. Once you know it, you're like you feel like you kind of have to factor that into how you see him. But again, separate the art art from the artist, and a star is born is a damn good movie, even yeah, outside of being an excellent remake. I did, I did absolutely love this. And it it also just proves that Gaga could, I mean, that's when we first thought, okay, Gaga's not just a yeah. singer. Actually, act. <laughs> yeah, and now in 2022, we think it's the most normal thing in the world that she's going to star in a musical sequel to Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix and directed by Todd Phillips, the now Oscar it was the Oscar-nominated dire uh, director of Joker. So, yeah, what a time to be alive! Uh, sorry, it's born is on BBC Two <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sunday at uh, ten. Uh, one to revisit an all-timer, uh, and I think I haven't revisited this in a few years. I'm going to show this to Miriam at some point. I know she's never watched it 11 40 itv4 on monday hot fuzz it's a policeman officer um it's a great one this is the second in the cornetto trilogy this is where they swap zombie movies for cop for the cop movie genre taking on bad boys taking on the rock taking on the michael bay subgenre. Uh, i think this is great um i actually think it's a stronger movie than Shaun of the dead because there's more narrative hard work in the mystery there's more narrative work at play in the mystery here the mystery element than there is the zombie survival element, which is more an a to b to c uh kind of journey kind of a quest kind of a, a, you know a quest item kind of structure in in Shaun of the dead um say so find out for yourself hot fuzz which i remember famously being released on valentine's day in 2007 because the cinemas are packed out that night and sorry to whichever <laughs> girl i was dating at that time so 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 uh, anyway, um, things that make me feel good, meanwhile, in life, because every now and again I need to pick me up. And things that make me feel really, really good are uh, seeing Miles Teller in pain. And uh, Whiplash is on, on great movies, on uh, Tuesday night, 9pm. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I really, honestly, I saw footage of Miles Teller just at a baseball game, just waving at the crowd the other day. And uh, for a moment I thought, oh, it's a returning soldier, good for him. And I thought, oh, no, that's Miles Teller being lauded and having a nice time. No. Ugh, ugh, you sick. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't like Miles Teller. I'm sorry. He, he's, he's not a very good actor. He sometimes he can be. Face is really offensive. <laughs> he's Vince Vaughn with a theatre degree. You know what I mean? It, it goes back to that for me. He's Vince Vaughn with a theatre degree. Anyway, um, I just can't get over. It. Oh, but, but he's good. No, Whiplash is a brilliant film. Yeah, but he's very, very good in Whiplash, in which he displays a lot of suffering. He's also excellent in Top Gun Maverick. I have to hand it to him. He's excellent in Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Um, Whiplash, 9pm on great movies, though. Let's give it up to the Oscar winner, though, for this one. Let's never forget that uh, Sir Miles was, was not even nominated. I mean, he didn't even come close to nomination for this. But you know who did? The great Sir J.K. Never Serious Simmons. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. 
Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, five. damn it! Look at me! One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? Mm -hmm. Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference! Good old JK. Good old Commissioner Gordon there. R.I.P. Batgirl. Anyway, uh, moving on to the remainder of our week. We've got to get through these quickly now. Wednesday night, uh, John Woo's first English-language movie from 1993 is on TCM. Uh, Turner Classic Movies on Freeview at 9 p.m. Uh, 1993's Jean-Claude Van Damme action, a hard target, uh, in which he it's a, it's a loose adaptation of The Most Dangerous Game, which we most recently saw ad adapted as the... The Hunt from Blumhouse. You remember the one that annoyed all the Trump guys? Um, same yeah. source material, but this is Van Damme being hunted by Lance Henriksen in a trench coat on the bayou, on the Louisiana bayou, the New Orleans bayou. Oh my God, this is awesome. There is some great slow-mo roundhouse kickery afoot in this. If you've never seen Hard Target, it is near and dear to my heart. I can't urge you strongly enough to watch 1993's Hard Target Wednesday night. I'm down, 9, man. 9 p.m. TCM. He, he actually works very well in this case. He he plays a Frenchman named Charles Boudreau. Next time, be more careful where you show your wallet, as he famously says in the, in the clip. Uh, moving on to our final one of the week, uh, one of the great 90s fillers for me, Tony Scott's Crimson Tide from 1995, starring Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington, 9pm on Great Movies. It's the submarine thriller in which the first officer and the captain disagree when, they're when their communications are cut off on whether or not to launch the nukes. As depicted here, will they launch? Will they mutiny? Will the captain kill the commander? Will the cat will the commander kill the captain? Find out 9 p.m. on Great Movies. All I'm saying, Captain, is that we have backup. Now it's our duty not to launch until we can confirm. You're presuming that we have other submarines out there ready to launch. But as Captain, I must assume that our submarines could have been taken out by other Akulas. We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Sir. Mr. Hunter. We have rules that are not open to interpretation, personal intuition, gut feelings, hairs on the back of your neck, little devils or angels sitting on your shoulders. Captain. So we're all very well aware of what our orders are and what those orders mean. They come down from our commander-in-chief. They contain no ambiguity. Captain. Mr. Hunter, I've made a decision. I'm captain of this boat. Now shut the f*** up! Welcome back for One Last Ride Offscreen and taking you through the streaming section along with the virtual DVD and Blu-ray aisle. There are actual physical Blu-ray and DVD aisles still in the world. I know HMV still a thing and supermarkets still sell discs, so at least you can in the real world still get uh, physical discs. So let's let's not neglect them just yet, but they're mostly virtual. Most of us are buying our discs online. I think most of us are just Amazoning them in, aren't they? Uh, but alas, streaming wins out with the first pick of the week this week, which we didn't get to review. Uh, sadly, I was looking forward to it. And, Netflix weren't having none of it. <laughs> they, they weren't, were they? And that's increasingly becoming the answer from Netflix. Have you noticed this? Like every movie from Netflix, they're like, no, we, 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 we're not showing that. And you're like, oh, okay. And then it comes out and it's terrible. And you're like, 
why are you making all these movies that you seem to know are terrible? Exactly. Yeah, their own publicists don't seem to like their movies. It's the weirdest thing. Um, so, uh, Day Shift, which I'm still going to watch anyway, because it's basically comedy Blade in South Central with uh, Jamie Foxx and Snoop. I mean, come on, I'm watching the hell out of that. That could be the worst movie ever made. I'm still watching it, just that concept alone. I watched the movie Soul Plane once. Come on. <laughs> It's going to be worth a watch just for the laugh. Just yeah, for the laugh. Anyway. It's on Netflix from today. You can get it watched. Another one they tried to hide from us, but we got to review this for week of release anyway, because <laughs> I am like the Terminator. I can't be bargained with. I can't be reasoned with, and I will not stop ever until you are screened. And I did this, of course, with Roland Emmerich's Moonfall, which arrived um, earlier this year. <laughs> oh, my God. I say arrived. was just dumped out earlier this year and this is like roland emmerich got a hold of an app fed it all of his own movies and just remixed some sort of greatest hits compilation and it farted out a movie starring patrick wilson and halle berry and and, and the weird part is and, and and what's his name from from game of thrones uh oh god what's his name from game of thrones no, 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 who plays Sam in Game of Thrones. Oh, John God. Bradley, I think his name's John Bradley. But and, and you watch this movie, and John Bradley from Game of Thrones, Sam from Game of Thrones, is playing it like he's uh, Josh Gad. And you're like, why Why is he like playing this like Josh Gad? And then you read the production notes uh, that, that, that have been like put onto Wikipedia, and you find out that it was actually Josh Gad in the role, and then he quit. And then they oh. hired John Bradley sam from game of thrones and for some reason he thought i'll just play it like like that and it's it's kind of like when they wrote the movie yesterday and they very obviously wrote that ed sheeran role for chris martin and then yeah. and then it turns out that chris martin turned them down so they just like changed the name to ed sheeran and got ed sheeran to do it even though even ed sheeran seemed to be quite clearly aware that this had been written for chris martin yeah. And, and now seems to be quite resentful of that fact. You know what I mean? It's like one of those weird things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Moonfall is an absolute dumpster fire of a movie, but it's just trash. It, you kind of have to see it to believe it, but it is a greatest hits of all the Emmerich movies. I mention it because there are certain viewers out there who are so middle of the road. And my mum, like, unashamedly is one of these people, who will lap this up. Meanwhile, one of the greatest thrillers of all time, Michael Mann's Heat from 1995. Uh, comes at, comes to Disney Plus today. Uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino meet on screen for the very first time in one of the definitive crime thrillers. Al Pacino leading the cops, Pacino leading the criminals. The criminals are planning the great heist, that one last score. And the cops are circling, ready to take them down. Just waiting, desperate for a lead, that one final way in that can give them that big takedown, that, that, that one bust that can finally bring down this crew. But before that comes one of the, has to come one of the most iconic moments in all of cinema. More people, as we discussed this before, yeah. as we discussed before, more people know this moment, this scene, than know the movie. Yeah. And it is the diner, the diner scene in which cop and criminal sit and have coffee. Guy told me one time, don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. Now, if you're on me and you got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a, a marriage? 
That's an interesting point. What are you, a monk? I have a woman. What do you tell her? I tell her I'm a salesman. Nice, nice scene, that one. It is, it is a classic scene. I, I remember I was a big reader of uh, Premier magazine back in uh, 95. Tell you what kind of 12-year-old I was. But uh, I remember all the glamorous photos of that scene from Heat. And it's always stuck with I've, me. I've, I've got to admit, even though I'm a massive De Niro and Pacino fan, I've never actually seen this film. I know that scene better than mm. I know the, anything else mm. about the film. I don't know why I've never seen it. It's something I've never got round to. Well, from today, you can change that courtesy of Disney+. Plus uh, On Netflix, uh, from to, from Sunday, sorry, I think it was the document there, from Sunday, there's no formatting here, uh, from Sunday on Netflix, uh, Christopher Nolan's, not his debut, but his breakout movie, Memento, starring Guy Pearce. We're going to have to round this up really quickly. Starring Guy Pearce, uh, that's going to streaming on Netflix. Um, on, on DVD and Blu-ray on Monday, however, two movies, one that we didn't get shown, they just did not show to press. They did did everything they could to try and keep this hidden for us. You you saw it. Uh, yay or nay on the Zac Efron starring remake of Firestarter. Meh. 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 Okay. Watch it. I watched it, but I won't go back. <laughs> if you if you're after there you go. <laughs> well, it's on disc from uh, from Monday, along with a sequel I didn't get to review because it was it wasn't being released until a month later in the states for I would assume cultural reasons. Downton Abbey: A New Era, the gang are back, and this time, as you can hear in our clip, it's a new era. I haven't been up here for years. Well, this is the situation we're in. With the money, we can bring the house up to snuff to match what we've spent on the estate, and enter the 1930s with our heads held high. But if you don't want to... No. No, you steer ahead. You're the captain now. I am aware of that, even if you think I'm not. Look at me, look at me. I am the captain now. Downton Abbey New Era, which I, I still haven't seen. And do you know what, actually, I might watch, because I quite liked the first Downton Abbey movie. I've never particularly taken to the series, but I quite liked the first movie. So I'd be uh, interested to see what they did with a sequel. Like, is it... Is it a Mamma Mia 2 caliber kind of a sequel? Is it, is it a Dark Knight sequel? You never know. Uh, we, comparatively, we shall see. Alas, uh, that wraps us up for this week. Uh, next week, we've got some kind of strange, strange mix next week. Um, we've got two sequels, two sequels next week that I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, the first is a sequel to the the charming British, British sea shanty comedy, Fisherman's Friends. The sequel, Fisherman's Friends, one and all is out next week uh, starring James Purefoy who's now gone all ooh, salt and pepper but he's got that Cornish voice love that Cornish voice love he's got a bit of that you know that, that's in there a bit too Irish actually when I do it isn't it um, I next week, say. we've also got the documentary My Old School next week uh, Anay in Love I'm looking forward to watching next week but our other sequel which I think is actually more of a prequel can't wait for this Orphan first kill. Isabel Furman is back, and this time she's giving us the origin story. Can't wait. There's something. Apparently, there was something wrong with Esther all along. So this is how this is how this is how something started getting wrong with Esther, according to the tagline for the movie. So uh, I'm looking forward to those with you, Zara. Next week. Any, any uh, in, in in the ten seconds we have left, anything you're looking forward to there? No. <laughs> <laughs> So, standard, standard week of new releases. So, alas, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next time. But for now, I've been Van Connor. And I've been Zaire Phelan. And we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>